Hello, everyone. Welcome back on the AgriAdventures channel. This is Simone Berliat, and today we are here for another episode of the AgriAdventures Garden Tips. So a little change on our uh, traditional format of uh, 15 minutes interviews on AgriAdventures. Uh, today we are live, by the way, and uh, we'll have the opportunity to speak with somebody that we already had the chance to. And uh, we will speak about interesting topics correlated with uh, uh, gardening. We are over here in South Australia. We are in near, I'm nearby Adelaide. And depends, using Zoom, we can move around a little bit, sometimes even interstate or internationally. And uh, the topic for today will be how to feed your garden with your scraps, if you want to say. So uh, we have with us uh, today uh, Malcolm uh, Ains, and uh, welcome, Malcolm. Welcome to the Ag Adventures platform. Hello, Simone. Good day, everybody. And uh, so uh, today the idea uh, was uh, to continue the, uh, the, 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 the topic that we started a couple of weeks ago. Uh, again, here last time we've been speaking about uh, pests and predators correlated with gardening. And uh, today, the idea is to explain or help a little bit out people or to feed their own garden. So you're Malcolm, I base uh, the uh, Ligaya garden. That's over there that you have your uh, mine experience. You said how many years you are doing the garden over there? Six years now, Simone. Oh, okay. It's nice, yeah. People are surprised when they come here. Lovely. So that's definitely a place that we should visit one day. So uh, you come with this uh, idea for today. So why did you think about uh, speaking about uh, the feeding the garden and using what we have available at home? Well, last week we were talking about pests and predators and why not to use poisons and how to identify things that could help you. So I figured we'd continue in the same theme and look at uh, feeding your garden without artificial fertilizers. Okay. Without having to buy stuff. But you, there's um, a whole range of things you can make out of your own scraps and little bits and pieces that you can bring in. And uh, I think you'll be quite surprised at what's available. Wow. Yeah, I remember uh, that for my knowledge that I have, I had a look sometimes at the history of... Uh, uh, gardening and how important was the change that happened when we introduced uh, the uh, chemical fertilizers. Yeah. Like before than that time, people was going around and looking to harvesting bird poos from uh, really archipelago, really unknown archipelagos because you were running out of easy to use fertilizing. So really interesting. We are trying to move back a little bit and. Are there specific motives why we would be interested to use home-created fertilizer? Well, A, it's really easy. B, we're throwing away a lot of the scraps. And on a third point, a lot of your um, fertilizers, as you say, were mined from archipelagos for superphosphate. Um, and a lot of them are actually produced from fossil fuels, from crude oil. So by making our own fertilizers, we're reducing the amount of fossil fuel use. Okay, that is uh, definitely something really good. 
if we keep in consideration that we not just have to have it made using uh, fossil fuels, but also we want to transport them. Yeah, and then we want to store them. And exactly. we want we want to do all these process that they obviously in, are increasing the carbon footprint. While if we speak about food that we have every day at home or close by, we already been doing that process. So it's a way to reuse something which is definitely, definitely useful for obviously for us that we have our own garden and then we are not producing massively, but we want to look after what we have already. Yeah. And these techniques will show you that they're, they're ideal for the home garden, not for farms, not for um, big agriculture, just for home gardens and you know, small families. And I think that's what we've really got to aim at for agriculture now is get rid of all this huge stuff and make it small, local, tiny, slow, all of those words that are being used for different movements. And uh, yeah, we can do a lot of it at home. And a lot of it's actually recycling stuff from your garden that you wouldn't normally use, which you throw away into your green bin, for example. Um, and you can reuse it and you can make some ideal fertilizers out of it. And if you think along the lines of, my thinking is that the, a tree, for example, has to put a lot of energy and a lot of resources into making that fruit to, to, for it to reproduce and we get the fruit and we benefit from it. Um, why put the waste from that into the bin and send them out? Feed it back to the same plant, feed it back to the plants that produced it. And that'll help to balance out their nutrients. And also linking back, it'll help to balance out the pests and predators as well thinking back to the last episode. So there's all kinds of good reasons for doing it. Absolutely. And I think I've got a few here that'll surprise you too. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that it's uh, something, the techniques you're going to explain to people that's following us? By the way, I would like to thank the, uh, the North Brighton Community Garden that they've been supportive the last time we are sharing today. So if you are following us, on their Facebook Hi, page. Everybody. Hello, everyone. And yes, then uh, Alex Miller and company, isn't it? Yeah. Hi, and, uh, <laughs> absolutely. Well, it's a small community, but really, really strong community in the area. And while the gardening community, the community garden community over here, it's really interesting and, and really supportive. So I was wondering uh, for people that they, 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 will, they are interested to this type of the, uh, techniques, uh, do they need to have any special ingredients? Like, for instance, you know, you need to have a chicken if you want to have a chicken pool. Or well, uh, so, you, what was this something that is required, and what is is not really important? Would you like well, to the, mention to us the two main ones that we'll look at here, and they're easily available from fodder stores or um, party supply places or um, wholesalers. You're looking at white vinegar or apple cider vinegar, depending on which one you prefer, and molasses. And as long as you've got your hands on those, you, you can make so many different kinds of fertilizer. And of course, your scraps too. You've got to have scraps. And you'll probably find that by the time we finish with this, you'll be wanting to go to your neighbors and ask them for their scraps too. <laughs> well, that is another good thing I can say. Like if your neighbors, they don't have it, instead of having the truck coming to collect scraps every two weeks, 
and then you can simply organize with your friends in the area and say, okay, guys, you don't have the garden, I have a garden, you are not interested to spend your time to do that, I love to do it, you yep. give me your scrap, and I give you some products back. Exactly, that's the way it works around here. <laughs> Lovely, definitely, definitely, really, really interesting. So, would you like to tell us what are the bases of these uh, fertilizers? Let's start. Um, can I share the screen here for a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. One, one thing to think about is to um, use plants that you've already got. Plants already have the nutrients in them. I'm just trying to load up slowly. My screen's pretty slow today. Should be a picture coming up in a minute. And here's one that you'll see a lot of in ponds and gardens and everywhere around the place. You might recognize it as a general common pondweed, your azola. Everybody that's got a pond or um, a lake near them or a, a creek has this weed floating around in it. Some people call it duckweed. But this one, you can grow in buckets at home. You don't need to put any put a pond in or anything for it. Mm -hmm. And you can um, just throw this out on your garden. It's an amazing thing. Let me just swap back here. Oh, where's my stop, stop screen sharing? There we are. All right, now, sorry, just getting used to this. That's fine. <laughs> um, now that plant has a lot of protein, a lot of nitrogen, and a whole bunch of minerals in it. So what we do here, we have it growing in tubs. We feed it to the chickens, but you don't have to have chickens. Um, we just put it straight on the ground as mulch or straight into when I make up a new bed of fertile of, um, soil or something, I mix a lot of that in there. It breaks down really, really quickly and gives your garden a huge boost. And all you need to grow it is a few centimeters of water. So then you've got a few other plants from your garden right there, like comfrey. Mm -hmm. A lot of us would know comfrey, rich in nitrogen, potassium, all kinds of good stuff. At the right time of year, nettles. Nettles is a, a great one as well. And there's several different ways to make, to use these. You can put them straight onto the garden and they'll break down and the microbes will do all their work and break them down for you. Or you can do the traditional way, which is to ferment them. And any weed, you can do this with any weed. All you do is you, you put it in a bucket of water, keep it covered, make sure that the um, the weeds are underneath the water so they don't actually break down. And then the anaerobic bacteria will break that down and suck all of the goodness out of them. This container here is nettles. And nettles is full of iron, full of potassium, calcium, all kinds of stuff. And at the right time of year, we're throwing it away. We're just dumping it. Absolutely. Well, if I can say something about nettles. Yeah. Um, in Italy, we use nettles uh, for cooking. Yep. So we do nettle soup and uh, we can even do uh, nettles gnocchi. Yeah. But also uh, the nice thing is that nettles, they are really good uh, for our health, for the uh, circulatory system, yeah. so for blood system. And um, so I was surprised the first time I came over here and finding that nettles are considered weed over here. So, but anyway, it's good that we still have a good use for these plants, which are amazing for cuisine, but also are amazing for the garden. Yeah, it took me a long time to learn how to love them. 
because they were just, to me, they were just a pain. But then slowly, as I learned about the herbal side of it, they've got a, uh, they're very nutritious, as you know, from what you used to eat. Uh, they also got an antihistamine in them. So you take nettles just before springtime comes and your hay fever won't be so bad. And way back in the old days, back in the 1700s, they were an aphrodisiac as well. So many, many uses, but mainly for the garden. We just make a tea out of them and the tea smells really bad. <laughs> you can do the same with comfrey and both teas smell really bad. So you don't want to, you only want to use it once when your neighbors are out so nobody complains. And then, um, spread that around the garden and it just breaks down. The microbes do amazing things. Now I've got a, a system here of, for nettles, which is a pipe, a long pipe. And into that goes, um, there's a bottle full of water on a string. And then that pipe goes to, oops, sorry, I'm going the wrong way here. No, where have I done it? Let me stop sharing and jump to the next one for a second. That's okay. I'll put them out of sequence. Oh, there we are. So these pipes, are up, these are upside down because I just cleaned them. So if you imagine that, the, let's see if we can rotate this around. There you go. So imagine they're going this way and ignore the fact the plant's upside down. So you pack in the nettles, you pack in the comfrey or whatever weeds, if thistles work well, and then you put into here a bottle full of water on a string so you can get it back out. And then that will slowly press down, slowly compact the nettles and squeeze the juice out here where you get it from a bottle. And that's a very strong, very clean liquid. You don't need to strain it and you can use it, dilute it like 10 to one, 20 to one, put it straight on your plants. All the goodness of the nettles or the comfrey are in there and it doesn't smell. Okay, that is a really good, really good so advice. Small blocks, small locations like ours, because our block is so small, we don't have smelly buck piles of stuff and buckets full of stuff. Mm. So this way is just perfect for us. And all you need is a piece of 90 or 100 mil pipe, end cap, and some and a hole in there to make the, let the liquid out. Okay, so and uh, these type of uh, fertilizers, are they going to be used uh, every day, every week? every month or a time in the year? I do once a week. At the right time of year, in winter and early spring, I do once a week. And I use them, I dilute them one to 50 as a foliar spray to spray onto the leaves and one to 10 as a drench to put down onto the roots. And we also, we harvest maybe 30 or 40 kilos of nettles from a neighbor's block mm. that we know doesn't have, um, doesn't use poisons. And then I make up a bulk of this. It will store for a few months. And I also dry a lot of it too, because you can make nettles fertilizer, like a nettle tea as well. You add the dry to the water, you let it soak for a couple of days, strain it out and away you go. And it's great being full of potassium. It's really good at fruiting time. When your flowers, like for your tomatoes, when your flowers start to set, then you hit it with this stuff. When the fruit's on there, when your fruit trees have got fruit on, spray them with this. And the potassium helps the fruit to form and it helps it to stay on the tree as well, so they don't fall. So an amazing stuff from a weed that most people wouldn't look twice at. Absolutely, and uh, what you just advised was uh, uh, to store 
uh, them, which makes it easy because uh, generally collecting nettles is not a fun uh, fun journey <laughs> unless you like it. Sometimes sometimes people like this, but so uh, I'm immune to them now. I, I can harvest them with my bare hands, and they don't yes, bother me. Yeah. Absolutely. But and when I started, ouch! Everything was like, oh, I hated it. Yeah, my, my grandmother was doing that with no problem. She had fingers that were double mine size. <laughs> yeah. Definitely was. And so you can store them, you can have them. Do you think it's possible to store like vacuum sealed, like fancy stuff, or do there's a specific way? I haven't way? tried. I haven't tried, but most of it's like an anaerobic bacteria in there. Soon mm. if you seal it in a vacuum, it will still decay further because the bacteria don't need air to do their job. Okay. So, um, I found maybe three months worth. Mm -hmm. So I'll finish winter and spring out. And then maybe until March, my fertilizer is still good. Mm -hmm. And then I'll switch to the dry to make just a straight tea from it. Interesting. Interesting. So that works quite well. And one of the things to realize with all of this is it's all about bacteria. It's all about the microbes. You keep the microbes happy and well fed and they'll be fine and that is for making the fertilizer or this is also for the plants so or the rooting system of a plant for both for both for making it you keep oxygen in there um when i make, I make big patch big box um eight 60 liter bins of tea and i'll put this fertilizer in there this nettle tea rainwater some molasses for the bacteria to eat um and then pump oxygen through it with an air bubbler, like for an aquarium. Oh, okay. Really so you, you're, you're facilitating the fermentation at this point. Exactly, you, have, yeah. you give the sugar and then that gives them energy. Yeah, so, they breed and reproduce. And then adding adding the, uh, the, the, the airflow too is also a good way to move them up. It mixes so, them, yeah. And yeah. mix them up. Yes. Okay. So that, that's interesting. It's like but mostly they get their oxygen from the water, not the not the top of the surface or the bubbles. But the bubbles mix everything around, bring them up to the top, bring them down, so they can they can breed yeah. faster. I also remember that when I had to uh, do a, a, a set up a septic tank uh, in Bulgaria. Mm -hmm. There was a really big topic regarding anaerobic and aerobic bacteria, and the fact that anaerobic bacteria they can be more dangerous than the aerobic one, yeah. and uh, having the this airflow in some ways also help to keep a control of those. Yeah. Because uh, for them oxygen it's dangerous. It's actually the opposite than for us. So yeah. it's interesting. Interest. Do you have a picture of your secret uh, container? A secret container? No, it's just a, a 60 liter black plastic bin. Mm, Nothing okay. special. I found it on the side of the road. I thought this would be good. So it's all recycled. <laughs> that's that's really good. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. What else can we tell to to our our, our followers? What else can of... we tell? Let's have a look. We just finished. So we just finished Christmas time, haven't we? So a few people will have. Let's have a look here. Let's bring this one. Maybe some fish, especially after the Australia Day weekend. Mm -hmm. Some fish there. Um, we can turn that into an amazing fertilizer. It takes a few months, but we can turn that into a fertilizer that doesn't smell, doesn't rot. So here we've got some 
cockles from a friend and a, a little snapper and some all kinds of stuff that we had hanging around. And then you mix that with molasses by mm -hmm. equal weight. So the same weight of molasses to the weight of the, the fish scraps. And it'll look really good like this when you finish. And then um, what you do is you put the mixture into an airtight container. It has to be, this is an anaerobic process. And the microbes in there will start by eating the molasses. And then they'll eat all of the fish flesh and the shellfish fish and everything in there. And they'll turn that into a rich liquid. And that's called um, by biodynamic farmers and all those kind of people, it's called fish amino acid because you've extracted all of the good, most of the goodness out of the fish and turned it into a liquid. And that'll make a thick oily liquid. And you use that in your watering can, maybe 50 to one and put it around the base of the plants into the root, onto the roots. This one you don't spray onto the leaves because it's too oily. That can cause some trouble there. Okay. This, they... will, this will give so many nutrients, so much goodness to the, to the soil and to the roots and the soil microbes will go crazy and they'll in turn feed the plants and then everybody will be really super happy from there. So it's an amazing stuff. We only use small quantity, one to 50, one to a hundred dilution. And you can put that into an airtight container and it will seal for quite a while. It will store six months. And then okay. when yep. you finish the first batch, if there's stuff left over, you do the next process, which is my favorite one now since I learned about it. And that is a vinegar extraction. So you do the same thing. So this was a vinegar extraction, sorry, this picture. Mm -hmm. uh, this is loading up. So this is the, re the remnants of the fish amino acid one, this, the molasses mixture we made after three months fill it up with vinegar and then the vinegar will extract more of the mineral content out it will have to break down the bones more the scales the shells and other stuff because you have some things that are water soluble some things are soluble in alcohol something soluble in acids something soluble in vinegar which is an acid vinegar is an acid so um this way you're maximizing it you're getting all of the best you, you've You've got all the flesh and everything's broken down through the molasses and the bacteria. Now you're getting extra out of it with the vinegar and you can do maybe two or three soaks with vinegar to keep it going. So you can end up with, from a kilo of fish, you could end up with maybe three or four liters of good fertilizers. Okay, and uh, definitely we consume more than one kilogram of fish per year. That's right. <laughs> so that's that, that's enough to to fertilize the garden. And we are speaking which uh, what size of garden we are speaking about? Like if our you... garden, our garden is a, a small garden. Mm -hmm. um, we have three hundred and twenty cubic meters, so we grow eighty meters of ground space. Plus, we also grow upwards to another three meters. So we uh, four meters. So we we count our our range in cubic meters. But we're, we're smaller than an average suburban front yard. That's all we are. So and, this uh, fertilizers will do a, a normal quarter acre block, the traditional Australian quarter acre block with a good veggie patch and some fruit trees. 
as I said earlier, it's not suitable for large scale farming and things, but I have a friend who does this on two acres, mm -hmm. just similar processes and gets good results. Oh, definitely. And uh, it's uh, when you when you start to know the, the, the technique and you and then you have the first you do that the first time, then is uh, is like, you know, baking your sourdough bread. Yeah, uh, it's the same thing. You have a mother, you have a base, you have a container, you use just that specific container. So there are not risk of messed up. Yeah. And then the, you simply add the ingredients and then yeah. they they start to do their job. And then it became a sort of routine. Yeah, and it's like your sourdough. You start to think of your fertilizers as living things mm -hmm. because you're breeding and you're multiplying bacteria, all different kinds of microbes in there. And you've got to give them the good conditions so they can go under the soil and then provide the good conditions for the plants. So your fertilizer is no longer a powder that you buy from the hardware store or the garden center or a liquid you buy and you spray. It becomes a part of your life. It becomes a living thing. Like you, you have your dog, you have your cat, and then you have your two or three different containers of fertilizer. <laughs> they're growing over there. Hopefully they're not growing out of the containers. They stay in the <laughs> containers. They're not attacking in the night, which is really good. But is um, no, no, it's, it's just a small, small switch of mentality, I can say. And then it's going to help a lot because uh, what you do, you're simply increasing the number of uh, living creatures that they are uh, making benefit, that they're providing benefit to the garden. And that's what we want. I mean, we want to increase the fertility. We want to increase this type of um, uh, goodies, bacteria, and fungus that they are the ones that they are providing benefit to the plants, which are giving life to everything. Yeah, which are giving back to us. Okay, so we had fertilizer based on fish, and then based on melassa, then moving on vinegars that is for the soil. We had one instead for uh, the you, you were saying sort of fruiting. Yep. which was the one based on with the nettles. And uh, what else do, do we have? Do you think if there is a need? Because actually, I don't know. Maybe there is not much need of fertilizing. I don't know. This is another one. This is um, a fruit ferment. Mm -hmm. So this is when it loads up, if we can load it. It's not mm -hmm. loading. There we are. This is just fruit that came off of the trees, the, the stuff the birds knocked off and the rats and everything. And that's added to a, a bucket of water, just rainwater, sealed up for a month. And that ferments, that breaks down everything. You'll see bubbles and all kinds of good stuff coming out of that. Mm -hmm. And then you strain that. The, the solid material goes straight onto the worm farm or to your chickens. And the liquid gets used as a drench for the soil. So you dilute it once again, 20 to 1 or so. Add it straight back to the soil from the trees that the fruit came from. So you're adding waste nutrients from the tree that they came from back to the same tree. Back to so the tree. The tree gets what it needs because it takes a lot of effort and a lot of energy for a, a tree to produce plums, for example. It takes a lot of energy and that energy is wasted if you just throw it away or if the birds get to it or... You just see a, a piece of fruit with a bite in it. You throw it into the bin. Mm. That's wasted. So you can return this. And this way you don't get the problem of fruit flies and all this sort of stuff either because you're making a liquid 
that liquid is going straight into the soil. There's nothing sitting around on the surface. And straight away, the plants can start to take it all up. Sorry, so I'm, I'm smiling. I'm smiling just because uh, the same technique you can make cider. So <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna have two uh, two fish with one what one ingredient that you have your yeah. friends drunk and also the plants happy. <laughs> I'll show you the next picture, which was what I was going to show you how easy it is to do this on a small scale. Mm -hmm. Some apple cores and chunks I had from drying some apples, and they were making an apple cider for me. <laughs> ah, see you. Here you are. See that. There, there was the trick. There was, yeah. there was the trick. But again, we are Same. speaking about uh, these. Uh, and it's interesting because with the um, with the uh, the market that we have, if you can come back, please, on the uh, stop okay. sharing. Of, okay. um, the uh, the market that we have, we can actually uh, bring in uh, nutrients from outside. So one of the good things about this mentality, which keeps in consideration uh, the amount of nutrients that we have in the property and uh, the amount we want to have, you actually can start to collect fruits and plants from the shopping. You, know, you go to do your groceries yeah. and then you start to have consume your energy to provide to yourself your energy, but also start to store the leftovers in your garden. In your garden, instead of giving them to somewhere, somebody else, mildly, yeah. because that's what's happened. You paid for this product, and uh, and they, they should stay there. And at that point, it became a, a cycle of uh, of energy. At one point, you won't need to buy anymore from outside because you've been storing enough. Maybe it never is possible to do zero buying outside. That's it's right. never possible, but it's definitely a good thing. I actually buy a, a, just a generic soluble fertilizer from time to time, Thrive or something like that. And that's just, I can put it on the garden and that will add the micronutrients, the molybdenum and the, all, the, all these sort of weird, wonderful sounding ones, magnesium, manganese and all that sort of thing. Because it's relatively easy to know your, your big three, the nitrogen, potassium and phosphorus, that's the NPK on your fertilizer bag. It's easy to work those out, but the micronutrients, which you need in tiny trace amounts, it's very hard to work with them. So I insure my garden by buying just a, a, a 1.8 kilo pack of Thrive, and that'll last me three months here. And once a month, I just put some of that around the garden a little bit too, because some of those chemicals, that are, some of those elements, they're useful for fruit set, for leaf development, for the production of chlorophyll, which is important for the energy of the plants. And I know I'm getting a lot of those back from these fertilizer methods I'm using, but I'm not sure at this stage of what levels they're at. Oh yeah. So well, you probably will need, yeah, you probably will need to have a, a laboratory, a chemical laboratory in the home to figure it out if yeah. you have all the nutrients. So in this case is uh, trying to simplify a little bit and then cover out a little bit everything to make sure that we start with a good base and yep. then we keep doing our process. Maybe I can get onto Bianca from last week at White and she can get me a laboratory out there. Oh yeah, that would be a good <laughs> trick actually. We could That'd speak with her. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it would be a good good way to sharing between uh, the um, uh, own gardening and actually the, 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 oh, the yeah. big food industry. Yeah, that'd be great because yeah, as I said, it's very hard to tell those tiny things. The big ones are easy, 
And you can just see by looking at the plant, yeah, there's enough nitrogen there, or yeah, there's a lot of phosphorus there. But yeah, molybdenum, for example, I, I don't know how to test for that <laughs> until the until the plant gets sick, and then it's too late. Yes, yes, absolutely. And so about, and, and you have the eyes, which means that you already been spending time, and you and and you are capable to see the big one. But as you yeah. said. The small one, which I probably won't be able to see if, put, if there's enough potassium or not. I, yeah. I look at people, not things, but anyway. <laughs> so we can uh, skip on to talking about um, trace elements. There's one very important one, and you, we can make that very easily, very easily in our gardens. Okay. And that's calcium. Calcium is actually a trace element. Oh, so we, we are speaking about eggshells. Eggshells here, yeah. Calcium is... Um, very useful for plants because plants use it to make their cell walls and they make the cell walls strong and if you have strong cell walls you have a strong plant let more resistant to um predators more resistant to infection okay so a good level of calcium is good without overdoing it of course so eggshells are fine for this and whenever i make up a a new garden bed a new tub i'll put it just a a teaspoonful of powdered powdered eggshells into the potting mix and that okay. lets the plants to get that to get started with calcium it takes a little bit for these to break down it takes a little bit of time mm -hmm. and then um the plants can start straight away and okay it gives them and that extra boost and you'll see the greener plants they'll actually look greener i think they do yeah how do how do you process the eggshells like you get the mortar and then you make a powder from it or well, there is i get the eggshells and we have some cafes and restaurants around that we get things from so we have plenty um i give them a wash to get rid of all the everything on the outside and then i'll break them up and put them into an oven at 150 degrees for about 20 minutes and that burns off all of that organic material, the, the lining, the things that will go rotten if you leave them for too long. Okay. And it just leaves the eggshell, which is calcium, phosphorus, silica, all together. Then I grind that up into a, I've got a Nutribullet, one of those blenders. Blend that up into a fine powder and just use it. Just um, yeah, teaspoonful every two square meters or so. Just tiny amounts. You don't need a lot. But its presence is really important. Yeah, I think that for somebody that has a regular size garden, we have even too much yeah. <laughs> of food. I mean, there are too many, too too much leftovers that they probably won't be able to use just for our garden. I went to a friend's house yesterday, day before yesterday. They asked me if I wanted to do some peaches. We picked thirty kilos of peaches and plums, and when we looked back at the trees, it was like we had never been there. <laughs> there was still more so we shared that around with the community we're drying some we uh we did all kinds of stuff with it and there was a lot of waste so that's all being fermented now in a big bucket and some of that's going back to the people that gave us the fruit so they can put it straight back on their ground on their soil and some will go here as well that's interesting is a is an interesting philosophy actually because uh it helps to um Non, non, do the opposite instead than being focused and produced in big amount in one specific area actually we will be able to produce 
fragmenting the production yeah. in small pouches, therefore having, in my opinion, less impact on the ecosystem. Because one of the big, yeah, yeah one of the big issues correlated with the uh, with the massive production of food is that when you have one crop monoculture, all the ecosystem around the monoculture is suffering. Uh, yep. From the big animals to the uh, tiny uh, microscopic uh, bacteria, while fragmenting the food production in this way, obviously, if it will be possible to make it sustainable, but it will be much more beneficial because instead of the, the cutting pieces of land, we, you're simply cutting the production in small pieces, and then you have pollinators coming, and you have all the life around it that is going to be more balanced. Yeah. Uh, my my green soul is coming out. <laughs> good, it's good. Also, one thing I look at, I, I changed my perspective at one time on gardening. I used to think, what can I get out of this garden? What can I get from it? Now I think, what can I put into this garden? Mm. Because I know the more I put in, the more will come out. So, and things that surprise me come out. I don't know what half of the things are, but we use them anyway. And you see different insects, different... We had um, two juvenile blue-tongue lizards on our front porch the other day, which was fantastic because it means the blue-tongues are breeding because these were babies. It means they're blue-tongue lizards breeding and they eat slugs and snails and sliders and all kinds of pests in the garden. And because they're a fairly advanced creature, they're called a, a top-level predator. Mm. So to have a top-level predator in the garden means that the ecosystem below it is healthy and thriving. And that made me really happy to see those. Absolutely. But they were too quick for me to take a picture of. They disappeared very quickly. So but I'm really happy with that. And one other yeah. thing on the way, talking about eggshells, is something else mm. which comes from all of our barbecues and things as well. We can do that bones, especially chicken bones. Okay. Uh, especially chicken bones. What you can do is you do the same with the eggshells. You roast them, you, you clean them up, then you roast them to get rid of all the meat and the ligaments and things like that, oxidize those. And then you soak them in vinegar for a month or two. And that will extract all the mineral extracted, the mineral compounds out of it, the phosphorus, the calcium, the silica, things like that. And this is a good way to get a phosphorus-rich fertilizer. So the eggshells were for a calcium-rich fertilizer. Mm -hmm. This makes for a phosphorus-rich fertilizer. Okay. So once again, free stuff. Everybody can get to, you. don't need. To, I use apple cider vinegar here because I make my own in bulk. I make ten liters at a time. But you can just go and get your normal everyday white vinegar from your supermarket, and away you go. And the good thing with this, there's no fixed measurements you don't need to know weights you don't have to combine it all you have to know if you're using the molasses with the fish it's got to be an equal weight of molasses with the fish with the fruit fertilizers with the vinegar this sort of thing you don't need to know you just put it in there leave it for a while it will do its thing and then it will come out with the eggshells you can stir occasionally and as long as bubbles come up mm -hmm. leave it there for a bit longer because it's still reacting but once the bubbles stop, for example, that's a good time. You filter it out and use it in the garden. Easy. Easy. Yeah. Easy. There's nothing hard to this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you do turning or adding things to the garden come from it. Yeah. It doesn't have to be. That's right. It doesn't have to be complicated. 
doesn't have to be at all. Mm. I've seen uh, something that I use for work when I work in a cafe in, in Adelaide. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've seen coffee, the ground, the, the leftover. Ground. Yeah. Yeah, coffee grounds are fantastic. I, I use them here. We get, um, that's 10 kilos in there. I got that from a local coffee shop. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I get, um, I could get, we could get 50 kilos a day from local coffee shops for our composting collective that we've got going, but I just put a little bit aside for me. And um, yeah, coffee grounds is great. It's rich in nitrogen. It's got a lot of other minerals in it, some all different kinds of elements in there, slightly acidic, and it's full of, um, it's an organic material. So it, it will go on the garden. And it's good to reuse these because it takes something like 420 liters of water to grow a coffee plant, harvest it, ship it, pack it. And then by the time you get it in your cup of coffee, less than 1% of that plant has been used. Yes. So there's enormous, enormous waste. So if we can reuse those coffee grounds, it's like adding water back into the ecosystem and we're adding organic material and nutrition to our garden. Yes. And we're taking out of the waste stream. It's not being thrown away anymore. Mm, yeah, I agree. It's uh, something that I've been saying actually to some of my customers when we were starting about uh, speaking uh, about coffee quality and all these type of things and why I'm so focused on uh, the quality and the value of food through experiences. It's because when we eat something, the best way to enjoy it is to understand a bit more yeah. about it. And uh, one of the things I say is why I'm so focused about coffee varieties, region. It's because every time you have a coffee cup, you, as you said, you consume one uh, 150 liters of water. Yeah. Cup, which is, we cannot afford to do that every time. We, we have to understand. So if we have only one, but this, it gives us an experience and has complexity in flavors, all these type of things, it's much more pleasurable than drinking six and without even realize. And I'm Italian, by the way, that we drink a lot of <laughs> coffee uh, on the run. Also, coffee plants are one of the first that are going to be first commercial crops that are going to be badly affected by climate change. Mm -hmm. They yeah. will suffer and it will only be fairly high altitudes can grow them. A lot of the biggest states, just where they are now, won't be able to grow them. So people that still deny climate change or argue against doing anything about it. If we're in a coffee shop, I tell them you won't be able to get your coffee. Mm. Your coffee will be a hundred dollars a cup or something like that. And more expensive. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. We grow coffee here in our garden. Actually, we, we get, the plant is very healthy and you eat the leaves or use them as a tea to reduce blood sugar. Okay. So you don't need the berries. Yeah. You can That's use the tea. They have pretty flowers and the flowers open at nighttime. So they pollinate um, moths and mosquitoes and things pollinate them. And they're, they're, they're sweet and they're nice. And you get the berries, but the berries are hard to process. You have to ferment them, then you have to remove the, the skin and all this mm. sort of stuff and dry them. So just enjoy the plant for what it is. <laughs> it is, yeah. So interesting. A lot of people think caffeine, they want to have coffee for caffeine. And they don't know that actually the plant uses the caffeine as a form of anti-freezer. Yeah. So yeah. 
higher is the altitude of the coffee plant and the lower the caffeine, is the, yeah. the amount of caffeine. So Amazing, isn't it? It is. It's so interesting. But uh, so many things to say, but we're going to move out to the topic at this point. Yeah, we Do you have anything left for a fertilizer um, for, what have I got? for today? Um, we've got your, your normal things like your worm farms as well. Mm -hmm. Now, worm farms are often not used correctly because the liquid that comes from the that you collect in the your bucket or whatever underneath the worm farm isn't worm wee or worm urine like they say it's actually the leachate from where all the all the uh, the water and the vegetables and the fruit are broken down and sort of become a liquid so we shouldn't use that on directly on plants like lettuces things like that that we're going to eat quickly we should use it more onto the onto the soil around perennial plants or plants you're not going to eat for a few weeks because there's a lot of microbes in there and some of them aren't quite good for us if we eat them. Um, so the best thing to do to get worm is to get the worm castings and take the worms out, of course, put them in a, a mesh bag or a stocking or a sock, put them in a bucket of water and swirl it around and get that to extract that out and then put that on your plants. And that's a far more effective way of doing it. Okay, that's, that's pretty interesting. That is a, yeah. as a, it's a good way because you have the worms that they are doing, they're creating the hummus, if you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah. And then also you have the, the water you can still use for fertilizer, which is fermented. So can be dangerous. So yeah. not, not spread yourself. That's interesting, right. interesting. So that's many it. things. That's it. We finished. That's it for today. Well, I think that was plenty of things. Okay. <laughs> and uh, for the people that's following on the radio and on the different platforms, obviously there will be uh, the uh, recorded version online. So it will be on YouTube, will be on as a podcast. You can find us on uh, Spotify. You can find us on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and also uh, the uh, radio, which uh, the followers I'm going to say hi because obviously they're not seeing us shaking our hand <laughs> yeah. and um, hopefully they are enjoying these long, long topics regarding gardening. So, uh, Malcolm, it was a pleasure uh, as usual. And uh, now we're going to figure it out what's going oh, to be the next, uh, the next topic. Is something you want to add in or are we okay mm -hmm. for today? I like to think about it. We're, we've done two pretty complicated topics the last and, and two topics that change the way that you think about gardening. So we have to keep going with that theme. Yes, absolutely. I have to work harder for the next one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so also for following now, there will be other interesting topics that we will speak uh, on the Agri Adventures uh, podcast. Uh, we will speak about edible flowers and uh, we will speak about uh, native plants. Uh, that they can be used for cooking. So I will direct my attention more on the cooking side and uh, on the culinary side. And, uh, but there is also an interesting uh, podcast that I'm working on uh, regarding uh, Dekurong. So, and we will speak about the uh, sustainability of Dekurong itself. So the water flow, and we will do that with the fisherman that actually is based down in the Kurong region. So really interesting. Hopefully it's going to be ready soon to share with everybody. So Don, that's it. Um, Thank you, Malcolm, for being with yes, us. Simone. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for joining in and listening. And 
watching. I'll, I'll mute myself now. Oh, and we'll... Wait a second. Please okay. remember us where the followers can find you. We have a Facebook page. We have an Instagram page. That is the uh, Ligaya Garden. Am I right? Yes, yes. Ligaya Garden. And Ligaya a website, ligayagarden.online. Okay, perfect. It's one word, ligayagarden.online. Okay, no problem. That's the no best problem. place to find us, yeah. Lovely. So if they have extra questions, they can get in contact. Yeah. And uh, yeah. when there will be the chance that you will have some uh, workshop coming out, that will be able to come and visit and maybe yeah. be part with these and learning through the experiences. We're putting together some now. Um, maybe three by mid-year. We're hoping to get three new workshops going. One okay. art from my wife. She's a, a famous artist, or fairly famous artist, and and two gardening. What? One gardening for me and one cooking, which will be my wife and son as well, too. Perfect. Well, we'll see. Through Agri Adventures, yeah. Surprise, surprise. Thank you again. <laughs> okay, then. See you. And see you next time here on the Agri Adventures channel. Bye.